I can't remember. Did we get the all clear from you, Hannah? Share a testimony or no? You can shake your head. This, honey. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jesus might have been on the move in your life without you even mentioning his name. Pulled up a seat next to you. No? We're not doing that? You can say no. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to hear a testimony of something beautiful that Jesus did. And Hannah's going to tell us about it. Hello. <laughs> um, yes. Just remembering. Um, but um, some of you may uh, know part of this testimony. Um, but um, for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, finishing up my master's in counseling. I have one week left. Um, and part of my studies has been counseling. Um, I've been doing drug and alcohol counseling for the last, since, uh, I don't know, since July. And, um, one of my clients, um, is, uh, uh, has been using ice for 20, 20 plus years. And, um, and, yeah, basically in one of my first sessions with him, I felt like uh, I didn't know what to do and it felt a lot bigger than I could handle and um, I could just feel the demonic in the room and didn't, obviously I can't say that. Um, and <laughs> so um, I just was kind of binding the demonic under in, in my head and I just felt Jesus pull up a chair next to me. Um and that was just really comforting and grounding for me um, to just be able to. And I felt like uh, God showed me a picture of this man, um, uh, what he would look like without the demonic activity in his life and reminded of the person behind the demonic activity. So really beautiful picture. Uh, later on, I found out that he had a revelation of um, that his soul was eternal in my room, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, and uh, has given his life to God, but he still doesn't know I'm a Christian because <laughs> I'm not allowed to share that with him. So he, um, just uh, an encouragement of when we carry God's presence, uh, wherever we go, we don't have to speak his name, but we carry his presence. Sometimes we can't speak his name. Um, we would lose our ability to be in the places that he's put us in. Um, but he's still moving. He's still working. And people are having revelations of Jesus um, just in our presence. So really cool. How amazing is that? I think that's an amazing testimony. How long has he he's been been clean for like a few weeks now? Hey, don't know how to say that. He might have been. He was he was at least clean for a few weeks. <laughs> I think that's so powerful and beautiful. Um, Hannah shared a bit of that um, at at our revival group. We got to pray into that kind of in the in the process of. Of seeing this man's transformation, which is incredible, and and yeah, and Hannah, as she shared, like felt like Jesus pulled up a chair next to her, and it's like she can't even mention his name. Yet he has this revelation that his soul's eternal. It's either eternal death or eternal life. And he's like, I'm going to go the life option. And then yeah, and the addiction broke off, and he didn't have the desire to use for a few weeks. Like we need to need to celebrate the process as well in the beauty of that. That God literally rescued this man from darkness and. 
and the demonic and an addiction of ice, which you know cripples people's lives for 20, 20 or twenty three years or something. Um, I want to quickly go off the back of actually what Jules shared in worship. I felt like um, I actually had something to to share for someone, and and when Jules started speaking, I feel that yeah, whoever that was in the room that 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 that, that word was for, I feel that what I'm going to share um, briefly is um, also for you. Um, yeah. So whoever that was in the room, um, which was that encouragement to actually continue on in what you're doing, um, in this season, in this time. And, and I felt that the Lord is actually bringing you back into a a first love encounter with him. Um, that maybe, maybe you were saved a while back. Maybe it's been just a struggle and difficulty, just maintaining that love with him and, and just continuing to fall in love with him, whatever it is. But I feel that he's drawing you back into that first love encounter. Um, and it's really interesting because uh, Revelation two actually talks about talks about that. Um, and yeah, there is a call to repentance, but then it says actually to go and do the deeds, to go and do what you did at first, like in that place of being caught up in His love. Just what naturally flowed out of that place when you're caught up in His love, actually go back to it and um, just do it again. And it sounds it sounds a little bit almost like mechanical or methodical, but it's actually what he did in you before was authentic and genuine. And so your expression out of that place was an authentic and genuine um, response to the way that he touched your life and, and the love that he brought into your life. You know, for, I think for all of us as well, it's important to, to have a, a part of our communion with him that we, we go back to that first love. We go back to that place. And, and really um, part of my encouragement in for tonight is that we live there. And that's, that's actually the key for our passion to burn and continue to burn is to maintain um, yeah, that, that place of, of first love um, with Jesus. So yeah, whoever that was that really felt that the, when Julesy was speaking resonated with them, I really feel that that, that first part was particularly, um, yeah, for you. Just got to flick to my little page here. Alrighty. Yeah, so what, what I actually wanted to speak on tonight is um is passion, which I feel like is a, a topic that there's a bit of a misconception around it. Like we get taught one thing in the world about passion, which is often that it's just a momentary thing, that you experience a moment of passion or like the world sells you the lie that you can have like a night of passion, right? And that's the, the pinnacle to experience like some night of passion, um, which is often, you know, kind of conceived as a one-night stand, which... You know, it's, it's a perversion of God has this intent for our life of, of living a passionate life, which is one that wouldn't be a moment, but would be this constant and perpetual state of us continuing to grow in our passion. Um, and, and for me, it's something he's been speaking to me even in this season um, to be aware of what I'm passionate about. And, and of course, there's going to be this passion for God that's going to move us and motivate us. And it says the, um, the love of Christ compels us. Like it almost is like a spellbinding thing that takes hold of our life and controls us and moves us. But there's also this place of living from passion and being aware of what's in your heart because you're actually a dream of God's um, that he breathed into existence. Like he has dreams, passions, and desires that he wrapped your life around and went, I actually want this to be fulfilled on the earth. Um, and so it's important for us to actually see what we're passionate about. And And I want to just quickly articulate what passion actually talks about. And in the Latin, it's passio, and in the Greek, it's uh, the word path. And, and the word path means to suffer. 
uh, which is it, uh, an interesting <laughs> definition for passion, right? Because often we think of maybe the world paints it as lustful passions, which are going to satisfy you or give you pleasure. But the thing is, the ultimate pleasure is actually wrapped up in the willingness to suffer for something, which we see in the life of Christ, that it was, it was his very life laid down that actually even brought him joy as he beheld the one he wanted to, to have as his own. And it was, it was a passion that caused him to suffer greatly and deeply to actually attain the reward and the prize, which is actually the very people in this room. Um, so, yeah, there's a beauty actually in that. And so I just wanted to kind of, yeah, just touch on the reality of passion is something we're willing to suffer for. And so even as we kind of, yeah, journey through a few um, verses and um, excerpt of Scripture, I want you to keep that in mind that be aware of what you're willing to suffer for in this life because they're things God has almost irrevocably placed in you once you've been joined to him. Your passions actually are no longer just these lustful passions. They're actually with a purpose and intent um, for your design and for his um, created purpose for your life that he actually wants you to fulfill. Um, and in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, um, I'm just going to touch on it quickly. If you guys want to go with me through verses, that's, that's awesome. I will be kind of going through verses quickly and bouncing around just to um, paint this picture. But it says that his workmanship, referring to us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And, and that word workmanship is actually um, the Greek word poema, which we get actually the word poetry in the English language from. So it's like God actually like wrote your life into existence creatively and intentionally so that you would um, walk, number one, in Christ. First of all, it's his workmanship created in Christ Jesus which we can't miss that part. And it's then for good works, which he prepared beforehand. So before you existed, he actually had a destiny written for your life that he wants you to walk in. And it's actually in a passion. It's actually in a likeness to him, which is a willingness to suffer in order to see a fulfillment of the dreams and desires he has for our life. There's dreams and desires that are maybe like separate or just personal, like his promises over our life. But then there's these passions he's placed in us that are actually for us to affect the world around us with those being fulfilled, those dreams coming true. Um, it's actually for an impact on, on the world, for his kingdom to come. Um, and a beautiful uh, image of that is actually when David's reflecting um, yeah, on the Lord in Psalm 139. And, and in verse 15, um, David says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your, heart, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the day that were the days that were ordained for me. And so again, that kind of takes us into a place of God actually had this design and intent for your life that was actually created in the secret place. Which for, for me, I'm actually going to say that that's actually a place of um, the spirit realm, um, and it was a place where His eyes had had seen your unformed substance. It was actually a place where He was breathing into um, into your very existence before it came into the known world it was a, a substance of you that was unformed at that point but he's actually speaking um the very uh destiny that he has for your life um yeah so that's kind of the starting point of just understanding that yeah you're created in his image and, and god is a passionate god and god is is one who is willing to suffer greatly to um acquire what he desires um and so yeah that's going to be the starting point um I'm going to jump into uh, John 2, verse 15, which is an interesting section of Scripture. I'm going to go 15, 16, 17. Um, yeah, through Jesus driving out um, 
yeah, the money money changes and the the animals that were there to be sacrificed, um, which is one that I feel like <laughs> often actually gets misinterpreted. Or it's like, see, Jesus was angry. You can be angry, um, <laughs> which you know, like, sure, if you can be pure and without sin, right? <laughs> be angry and do not sin. Um, but I want to I want to take some time to actually go through this. So if you guys do want to turn there, or if you just want to hear me speak this out, but yeah, we're going to go on a bit of a journey through, um, yeah, John chapter two in in these verses. Um, and it says he made a scourge of cords or a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Yeah. And then it says that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, which is actually from Psalm 69 verse 9. And as David's actually reflecting on that um, reality of, of a zeal, a passion um, for the house of God. And, and they actually had a revelation, the disciples, as they saw Jesus and the way that he was um, acting and, and how he responded to this situation that, that you could, could see that he was consumed. But it was actually for a passion for the house of God um, in uh, Matthew's gospel, it talks about um, Jesus saying, you've turned this into a den of robbers, but my father's house will be called a house of prayer, um, which is actually from Jeremiah. Um, and it's this, this actually Jesus is contending for the original intent of the temple. He's actually contending and, and there's this zeal, there's this passion um, that, that rises up in him. The word zeal um, is, is the Hebrew word um, kina, taking it because it's from um, some 69, so you can translate it from there too, the word zeal. And it's a zeal, a passion in embracing, pursuing, and defending anything. There's a fierceness, an envious um, state of the heart, a contentious rivalry, and a jealousy are all part of that, um, that word zeal in that context. And, and we actually see that it's Jesus' zeal and passion for the house of God that causes him to take the time to form a whip and drive out the people who are perverting the intention of the temple. And it sounds like a cool story and, and all the rest of it, but I want to I want to take it a step further to make it personal for our lives that that we are actually the New Testament, the New Covenant temple. And so Jesus has this exact same heart posture towards each of us in the room that anything that perverts um, the intention of the temple, that perverts the intention that He has for your life, He actually has this passionate zeal and actually jealousy. For, for the space inside of you to not be a place of business. Like Jesus, I feel like would have been shouting <laughs> this part where we get the quotations, take these things away, stop making my father's house a place of business. He, <laughs> he wouldn't have been, oh yeah, take these things away. Yeah, stop making my father's house. He's got the whip, he's driving people out like, he is not stoked on <laughs> this isn't calm Jesus time where he's just meeting people in their brokenness. He's like, I don't stand for this that you would turn my father's house into a place of business. And little side tangent, but how many churches would he walk into and those words he would speak and he'd be happy to bring the whip in. But for us, he's actually saying that to us. Don't turn your communion, don't turn your relationship with me into a business transaction. Don't turn into something transactional when the intent for your life is for you to be in communion and intimacy with me. And this is a place where Jesus was consumed, which actually talks about um, 
the definition of that I, I translate in the, the Hebrew, which talks about devouring and to be burnt up. And then in the Greek, in that context, it actually talks about a consumption of the strength of body and mind by strong emotions. And so it's like him being consumed by his passion for the house of God and his passion for your lives actually takes him into a place where his strength and of his body and his mind is consumed by that. And this, and this word that, that comes out of it, a jealousy, it, he's, not, he's not jealous because of you, he is jealous for you. He's jealous out of a desire that, that your life would be one that is, is knit with his, that you wouldn't be giving yourself over to these other um, essentially false gods in this context. They're worshipping the god of mammon, even though it's disguised as a spiritual practice for the offerings. But it's the money changes he's driving out. People making profits there. It's a place of business. And that's, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't stand for that. Um, yeah, so I wanted, I wanted to just like sit on that and, and let us actually take that to heart to be like, so there's actually a place as well in reflecting Jesus that we should be consumed. And, and again, I feel that we're actually created to be consumed by the passion first for Christ, but consumed by passions in our lives that we're unwilling to, to not see things changed. We're unwilling to not, um, have things defended. Like there's, there's things even I'm feeling that in, in, in this room where it's like, I can't stand that staying the same in this world. Like whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's you know child abuse, whether it's domestic abuse, whatever it is, it's like I can't stand with that staying the same. And that that's actually a godly zeal and passion that God's placed in you to to take that and actually cultivate that, stoke it, and actually go out and 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 be like Jesus was a change to that space. And and He restored it, and we know that He restored us back to our original intent that we are a place for communion, we are a place of prayer which talks about the communion between us and God. We're not a place of business. This isn't open for business. Yeah? And, um, yeah, I just want to keep talking about passion because um, it's a good good topic and I haven't heard too many people talk about it, <laughs> interestingly enough. <laughs> um, and Jeremiah is someone who I find really interesting in this. Um, so he was a prophet and he prophesied, um, yeah, to, to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, for about 40 years. Um, he actually didn't see too much change. <laughs> He didn't have too many people willing to repent and turn and be face-to-face with God and meet their maker and actually live holy, consecrated lives. But there was something in him that caused him to just not stop. He just was un- like unceasing in his passion and his, his zeal to, to still see something change and believe that you know God's put these words in my mouth and it was his love for the people um, that moved him to continue. And I just want to read a, a quick little um, excerpt from... Uh, Jeremiah, and it's chapter 20, verse 9. Um, it's, really, it's really interesting. If you go and read a few of the previous verses, it's, it's almost like Jeremiah's complaining. But then this part here is just like he doesn't care whether there's change or not because of the state of his heart and how he can't shift the place that his heart is in. Um, and he's kind of having this reflective moment as well. If I say I will not remember him, talking about God, um, or speak anymore in his name. He's like kind of in that place of, should I just give up? Like stop talking about God because no one's listening. Stop um, going on about what he's speaking because no one seems to be responding. But then he has this moment of, of revelation actually. And it's then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am, I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. So he actually, ha- he actually has this revelation that's like, I actually can't keep this contained. The passion and the fire that is actually consuming me, which is actually a love for God's chosen people, I can't 
pretend that I can stop talking about it. I can't pretend that I can actually contain this. He says, I'm weary of holding it in for he can't endure. It's actually the suffering of his passion. And that's what we're created for. We're actually created for a passion that would take us to a place where we're willing to suffer. We're willing to go to, to those lengths um, of, of seeing change that would, would actually even cause physically, mentally, emotionally, a level of suffering, um, not for the sake of just, oh, yeah, go and suffer. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying take notice of the things on the inside, inside of you that you're willing to suffer for. It's actually a motivation. It's, this, it's actually a call from God that you are created and you're, you're actually compelled to go. Even, even, even Hannah, like in her, in her office, right, she has this love for the people. She can't even mention the name of Jesus, but she knows that she can host his presence. She knows that change can actually come in these people's lives and how important it is for people to have a listening ear and to be able to receive counsel, who's the Holy Spirit to us, right? <laughs> so that's actually a passion in God's heart is to have us as counselors in this world because Holy Spirit is a counselor. He wants to meet people and counsel them. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I was just I was just writing about Jeremiah's life, and I was like, he certainly wouldn't have been been at risk of being lukewarm. He's talking about a passion that's literally burning in him, a fire that's in him that you know he's he's worried of even holding on to it that he could endure the passion of being consumed by this. Um, and and from that kind of yeah reflective standpoint, I actually want to go into Revelation chapter three, um, verses fifteen to twenty-two. It's quite a full-on excerpt of scripture. Um, and it's Jesus addressing um, the Laodiceans. Um, we we see in Revelation uh, in that chapter three, chapter two, chapter three, he's addressing these churches. But I feel like for us, even if you just see it, he's addressing heart postures. He's addressing a response to him that is either he's actually condemning that response or he's encouraging the heart that you have in you in that in that kind of section of scripture. Um, and so. He's got some pretty harsh words to speak to the later scenes, as well as some really beautiful ones. Um, and how that starts in verse 15 is, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Sounds like a bit of an interesting thing of like, how, how could he want us to be cold or hot? There's lots of different um commentaries and, and different kind of interpretations of what that could mean. I mean, it's good if you're cold because then you can become hot, right? But then he's like, I want you to be hot because that means that you're burning for me. Um, an interesting commentary that I actually looked into um, that I found to be quite insightful in this area was actually um, in the realm of hospitality and that when when you would host a guest in, in that culture, you would you'd either serve them a cold drink and you'd actually add ice to it or you would serve them a hot drink and you would heat it up, like say with wine. They would add actually ice to it to make it cold or they would actually heat it up to make it hot. And, and if it was lukewarm, it was actually an insult to the person you were hosting. It was an insult to the person that was coming to you. And so I, I really enjoyed that kind of, I guess, commentary because it, it talks about our, us responding to Jesus. We're hosting him. And do we want to give him a drink that is lukewarm? And really that's our life. That's our heart towards him. Do we want to host him with a lukewarmness? Do we want to treat him like it doesn't matter when he walks in the room? And, and it's kind of something that really takes you into, yeah, a place of being like, what, what are we giving Jesus in our personal lives? Are we, are we actually giving him this, this cold, refreshing drink as we, as we love on him? Or, or are we giving him this, this lukewarm drink that it, it goes on to say that he, he spits it out of his very mouth? 
Um, and so this, is, this isn't just about a, a serving of a hot or cold drink. This is about us actually giving ourselves to the Lord. And this is what he's addressing. He's saying, I know your deeds. I know through your actions. I know through the way that you live your life that you're not actually giving me a cold drink metaphorically or a hot one. You're giving me this lukewarm one that actually insults me, the way that you're living unto me. Um, yeah, so it goes on, it goes on, to, goes on to say, um, where am I going to jump in? Yeah, verse 16, off the back of that, Jesus says that, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. These next few verses are pretty full on, so we'll just bear with me. And I I also feel like, just to give some context, that, that these verses can be at least very good for us to think about in our context, because a lot of what he's about to say, a lot of people are at fault at worshiping these things. Okay, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So there's, there's a risk here to, to worship your self-sufficiency, especially in this context, right? We have a lot that we have access to. There's a, a lot of people, a lot of our you know, parents, if we're young and you know, old generation that you can become rich and become wealthy here. You pretty much have to be to survive to a measure. So, yeah, and have need of nothing. And it's it's actually saying, I don't need God. I have need of nothing because I have everything that I need in my in my state of perceiving I have everything that I need. Okay. But, but what Jesus says to them is, do you not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked? So there's the reality check from the Lord. This is what you might think of yourself, but this is the reality because you're living in this state that's just for material, you know, wealth. And that's where your kingdom is. That's where you're putting your treasure. Okay. So then there's an invitation from Jesus in verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This this initially sounds a bit abstract, <laughs> um, but it's actually really practical. So when Jesus is talking about advising you to buy from me gold refined by fire, he's actually he's actually saying to come and buy without cost, without money, myself. Um, in Job, it even talks about the Almighty is your gold. And in Song of Songs, it even says that his head is as fine as gold. So he's actually saying, come back to me, the one that is, is really the only, only one worth purchasing. He's actually addressing the sin while giving you an invitation in this place to come and buy from him the very thing that actually makes you rich. For Christ himself is the one that makes us rich. We're the richest people on the planet. <laughs> if you have Jesus, you're the richest person on the planet, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and gold... Gold is also um, an interesting, I guess, kind of symbol in a, in a sense of, of what it stands for in the word. Um, yeah, speaking of, of Christ, of course, it also refers to a spiritual purity and glory, which comes from that joining to Jesus. Um, and and the, the Hebrew word for that is Zahab, which is the most common word that gets referred to in terms of gold. Um, and then the, the next invitation is and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. 
And uh, I looked into that word white, which was interesting. Um, it's it's the word Lucos, which the word the name Luke actually derives from from the translation of this word white, and and what it means is light, bright, and brilliant. So so these garments are ones brilliant from whiteness. They're actually dazzling garments. They're not just a color white. He's actually saying, "Come and receive these garments from me that are brilliant." And there's a splendor of a heavenly state. So this isn't just come and get some gold and come and get some white clothing. <laughs> this is come and actually be clothed by me and come and purchase that which is without cost, which is myself. We don't get in by works. We get in by grace, right? We receive Jesus through grace, by faith. And, and the beautiful part is these garments, they're shining, white garments, and they're even worn for a festive occasion, which actually took me back into Matthew um, chapter 22 when uh, Jesus is explaining the parable of the, the wedding the wedding feast. And um, again, he has a similar rebuke there to, to a certain man who walks in and he's not dressed in the wedding attire. And the interesting thing in that culture, they would have actually, um, the bridegroom, the, the wedding party would have supplied um, the wedding guests with the clothing. And so he was he was choosing to reject the clothing that Christ was wanting to give him in order to come into the wedding celebration. And so we, we know that also speaks of our being wed to Christ, talks about the, the marriage of the Lamb that we're all invited to. It's a good invitation to receive. Um, and the white garments also stand, uh, 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 these white garments also stand as a sign of innocence and purity of soul. And you actually see if, if you guys have read through Revelation or spent much time there, the white garments actually appear um, yeah, quite, quite consistently throughout the book of Revelation. Um, it even talks about how they became white, which was that they were dipped in the blood. And so we see that the blood of Jesus is, is the way to, to innocence and a purity of soul where we can, yeah, come into a relationship with him. It's a, it's a really beautiful. Thanks, bro. So it's a really beautiful invitation off the back of quite a full on rebuke. The, the wretched, miserable, poor, naked, blind rebuke. He's like, Come and actually receive what you need to come and be intimate and be be close with me, um, and and the eye salve to anoint the eyes so that you may see. Saying you're blind, so you actually you need to receive my healing touch. You need to receive the eyes of your heart being opened, and this blindness is preventing you from seeing what's really important, which is Christ Himself. Um, verse nineteen is also lovely because it also brings us into this revelation of being His Son. Um, where Jesus reflects and says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And we also see this, see this in Hebrews, that a father who doesn't discipline his son, the son is actually an illegitimate child. So he actually talks about, even in, in Hebrews, that it's those whom I love that I discipline and reprove. So we're not actually, we're not a family or a people who don't need correction or being reproved um, or, or being disciplined by him. We're, we're those who get the privilege to be disciplined by the Lord. It's actually because of his love for us that he doesn't spare the rod and the staff. And David get David understands that reality. And it, you know, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. And also his goodness and mercy follow me. You know, it's there's the correction and the discipline, but it's never outside of love. It's actually for the sake of love and because of love. And so there's an awesome invitation. Um, yeah, for the later scenes and also for us to really take this to heart, whether whether some of that resonates with you. Yeah, that you've been living for the riches of the world or you've been living for self, like really it's, it's self-sufficiency. That's the God they're worshipping is I can do it myself. 
I don't need anything. I don't need you, God. Um, and, and they've become lukewarm in that place. And they're not living for him. They're not living um, in a way that is pleasing to him. They're not offering him a drink that is one that would show that you, you desire to host and care for the Lord. Um, and it, it actually gets even deeper in this, in this place in, in Revelation chapter 3 uh, with verse 20. So after he's given them the advice, almost he's counseled them like the Holy Spirit would counsel us. This is what you need to enter. This is what you need to come to me. Um, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Again, this sounds a bit abstract and it, it is an image that, that Christ is painting, but it's actually the very door of your heart. And he's saying, this is my posture to you. I'm standing, knocking at the door of your heart. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your willingness to invite me in. I'm asking you for your, your desire to, to manifest where you actually respond to me. So it's, I'm calling you out of, of lukewarmness into a place where you've received me and the garments that you need to actually live with me and, and live through me. And I'm bringing you into a place um, yeah, where I'm inviting you to open your life up to me, open your heart up to me. And, and he'll come in and dine and feast with you in that place, commune with you in that place. Um, and, it's, and it's to anyone, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time actually paralleling that, that verse with um, an excerpt description, Song of Songs, chapter 5, uh, that it, it alludes to, well, Song of Songs, chapter 5, alludes to this in Revelation, right? We're at the last book of the Bible. So Christ is still in this same place revealing to us that I'm knocking on the door. I'm wanting you to open to me. Um, but he, there's also this interaction between uh, the bride and, and Jesus, and this is in... Uh, yeah, Song Songs chapter 5. Let's see if I got a little. Verse 2, actually. And the, and the bride is, uh, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful how, how parallel these, these two sets of scripture are. And the bride is reflecting, and she says, A voice, my beloved, was knocking. And then Jesus' response is, Open to me, my beloved bride, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. And I just wanted to give some context as well in the, um, yeah, the ancient Jewish setting that actually when the bridegroom would come for his bride, he would stand there perpetually knocking. It wouldn't just be a knock at the door and then he leaves. He would actually keep on knocking, waiting for the bride to open to, open to him. And, and even, even says actually in, um, yeah, this ancient Jewish wedding context that the bridegroom and the father would be standing at the door waiting for the bride to respond. And like the opening of that door would be like her I do of I'm coming to the wedding with you, um, which is just beautiful. Um, even says that, uh, yeah, there'd be a carrying of the, the betrothal cup of wine and the bride price is in uh, that, that kind of context where it was, there was actually a cost involved in, in purchasing the bride. Um, yeah, and so if she fully opened the door, it was like saying, yes, I'll be your bride, I do, you know. If she didn't respond, didn't open the door, then it's I'm rejecting you. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's quite a beautiful, uh, yeah, image, and and we actually see that the bride in this set, uh, set of scripture in Song of Songs chapter five, she actually has plenty of excuses for why she won't answer the door. Um, 
She says, I've just taken my dress off. How can I put it on again? I've just washed my feet. How can I um, dirty them again? So we see actually a condition of a heart again, like the later scenes that is unresponsive. It's actually lukewarm. I'm not willing to come with you. I'm not willing to commune with you um, and be taken by you. Yeah, we see Jesus' response to her um, and, and she reflects on this, that my beloved extended his hand through the opening and, and she says, and my feelings were aroused. And so, and in, in the ESV, it says, my beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. And we actually see Jesus, even though she has her excuses in the natural and the logical, um, rational part of her mind, Christ actually bypasses the logical, rational part and just touches her in her emotions <laughs> and actually touches the outs. He doesn't force his way into her heart. He's given her, given her the invitation. She's rejected it, but he touches the latch of her heart. He touches the outer part of her heart going, this is me. I actually want you. I'm jealous for you. I want you. And, and, and hits her heart and um, it actually sends her the, the word aroused um, or thrilled is the word hama. And it talks about this, this state of, um, yeah, it is being thrilled, being stirred, being moved. Um, it actually, a lot of the, the definitions are, are verbal ones like uproar and crying aloud. Like it's, it's a touch that would shake a whole person's body. Is the, is the touch that this bride gets um, when when Jesus touches the outside of her heart, and and I really feel feel strongly that this is a place He's willing to meet us in. If your heart is actually in a place that is lukewarm, if you're honest with yourself, and isn't really responsive to His voice, you're not you're not necessarily running into His arms. You're you've got your your doubts and your considerations about whether I even want to open to this this God and this Christ who's knocking on the door of my heart. He's knocking on everyone's heart. And he's actually always knocking because he wants to go deeper in relationship and intimacy with you. Um, but the question is, are you going to open yourself to him? Will you actually let him in? Will you, will you experience him coming in and, and dining with you in this communion um, that he designed you for? But even if you aren't, um, I want to say tonight, he is still so willing to extend his hand and touch you and thrill your heart and actually bring about an encounter that is going to create a desire and a passion for him. Because really, if we're, we're living lukewarm, we're living spat out of his mouth. We're not, we're not in him. We're not actually in, in union with Christ, which is, which is a sad state. And it's not, a, it's not a place he wants any believer in the, in the same way he has the jealousy for the intention of the temple, which is our lives and our hearts. He has a jealousy for you to burn. <laughs> um, and where I'm gonna where I'm gonna finish is is a revelation of that that his heart's desire is that you would burn with his love and continue to burn and um it's not it's not a place that that you arrive at it's like the perpetual honeymoon state that just continues like we're singing about his goodness and really the revelation he's been hitting me there it's like it honestly gets better and better and if you're believing anything less you're believing a lie he's actually that good he actually wants to keep taking us into greater revelations with goodness, greater revelations of how he wants to take care of us, provide for us mentally, emotionally, physically. Like, And if we're cutting that off going, oh, no, he couldn't be that good or I'm not that good and we're putting it on ourselves, he's saying, let me show you how much better I am than you think I am. Let me break the boxes you're putting me in. Let, let me enter into your heart with your yes and let me show you what I'm really like. Because him on the outside of the door, you're, not, you're limiting yourself to a revelation of Christ. You're stuck in a lukewarm state. You're not communing. 
there's not intimacy there. And, and with all this talk about passion, there's passion only comes out of intimacy. You can see, you can see marriages that lose the passion is because they've lost intimacy. They've lost a desire to be intimate and connected to one another. And it's the same with us in, in our relationship with him. It's a place we have to invest in, but it's a place we need to be moved in our hearts. Like it can't be fake. You can, you can be militant or just like doing your thing, you know, as a chore list and call it a relationship with Christ, but that's not what he paid for. He paid for intimacy with his lovers and that's what he desires for us. And that's a place he wants to awaken our hearts and he wants to stir our hearts. And that's that word Hama. It's, it's stirring. It's a moving in your heart, in your emotions, where your mind can't rationalize it. I feel like a lot of us, especially in the West, we're really good at rationalizing. I mean, I was an atheist and a skeptic, so my pride was in my mind. He wants to break that. And, and for some of you guys, he actually wants to break this limitation that you're, that you're putting him in through your mind. He, doesn't, he functions in your mind, but he doesn't only function in your mind. He wants, to, he wants to bring you into an experience with his love, not an idea about his love. And this can still be through the word. This can still be like, I've been getting more wrecked than ever just from reading stuff like this, where it's like, he wants to touch my emotions. And then I experience his touch in my emotions. And I'm like, how have I not been opening myself up to that? And I feel like even if it's not that you feel that you're lukewarm, but you feel like you're limiting, or you haven't had an experience of his love being more than an idea. He wants, he wants to invite you tonight to open yourself up to him and experience an emotional touch because that is what he's actually saying is available to you. I'll bypass all of your limitation and touch you where you can't block me. <laughs> I'll touch you where you're not unresponsive. And the reflection of the bride even is that I was asleep, but my heart was awake. She had an acknowledgement that I was, I was down and out in one way. My heart was awake. And sometimes we can be in that place of spiritual dormancy and like a hibernation, but our heart's actually awake. It's still responsive to the Lord. He'll touch us there if we let him. And if we invite him to come and we open that door when he's knocking, and whether you can hear his knock or not, he is knocking. <laughs> and he wants, to, he wants to take you deeper into that place. Okay, I'm going to finish in um, Song of Songs chapter 8, verse 6, which again is talking about Jesus' love for his bride. And, and it's again an invitation uh, for us. And Jesus says, set me or put me as a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as the grave. It's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So the invitation here is to put Christ, the, the consuming fire We're we're created to be consumed. We're created to out uh, the strength of our body and our mind to be overcome by him. And it's going to lead into the streams that he's calling us into to influence in our different demographics and our different vocations. But the primary place we need to be in is letting him place himself as a seal upon our heart. It's a seal of fire and it's a seal of, of his very love to consume us. And he's saying, my love is as strong as death. And we know his love is even stronger than death, right? He conquered the grave and he'd, he'd laid his life down to reveal his love to us. And he actually overcame death. Okay. And then the jealousy which is actually that same word, kina, that, that was back in um, Psalm 69, verse 9, which talked about the, the passion and the zeal. He's actually saying, my passion and zeal is as severe as the grave. 
His passion and zeal for our lives, his passion and desire for us is, is greater and surpasses that of the grave and of, of Hades. And, and the very flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Yeah, so I just want to encourage you guys that we are created to burn. <laughs> and if we're not burning, there's a problem. And, and that's okay. He wants to meet us where we're at. And there's that beautiful invitation that we see um, in Revelation chapter 3 in Song of Songs 5. He has the answer to our problem. He is the answer to our problem. But he won't force his way in. He'll wait for our yes. He'll wait for our willingness. But then he will come and consume us like a fire. Because that is who he is. He's a consuming fire that, that does want to devour our life. Um, he wants our life to be consumed by him. There isn't, there isn't another way to live for him. <laughs> Just want to eliminate all other options. There's only burning and being consumed. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're the one jumping up the front, the highest, or singing the loudest. But there's going to be a place in your heart where you know you're passionate for him. You know that you would go to any length to be with him. You know that you would be like the bride who runs around the city and gets beaten and bruised looking for her lover. Like there's a place we need to come to in our life. It's like, are we willing to pursue Jesus to the ends of the earth? Some of us might have caught the revelation that we need to pursue lost souls to the ends of the earth. But really, there's a starting point there. And it's will we pursue Jesus to the ends of the earth? Will we love him the way that he's loved us? And will we, will we let him affect us? This is a big, a big part. I was very unaffected in my heart for about seven years. I was emotionally numb. And three, three years of that, I was walking with Jesus. And I was a very headstrong, good theological Christian, you know. Don't, don't live by feelings or emotions. Live by the word of God. That was an easy one for me because I didn't have any feelings or emotions. <laughs> also a good truth. And, and, and keep, that, keep that in mind. We are, we are designed to live from his word, but his word is, is like a two-edged sword. It pierces us. His word is passionate. His word isn't passive. It's not just the logos. It's the rhema, okay? It's, it's a living, breathing word that wants to transform and change your life. And I had, to, I had to let myself, through humility, be pierced by his word and be taken into these places of passion and emotion because they were distant from me and actually unattainable to me. I didn't know how to warm up my heart. I didn't know how to break out of this cage. But Christ has the answer to that. He knows how to make burning ones. He knows how to make passionate lovers. And it's through just but the touch on the lash, touch on the latch, and it turns the, the whole being into this just like state of being shaken by his presence, being shaken by his, his touch. And yeah, it's what he designed us for. <laughs> just receive, re- receive the, the nice serenading music there as um, the Lord meets you. <laughs> um. I might even get the the worshippers who are beautifully leading us earlier to, to come up. There was some good passion in these ones. Anyone else feel that? <laughs> and it's not for show. These are these are passionate lovers of Jesus. It's good to celebrate each other, right? Burning is a choice. Burning is a decision to to live for Him wholeheartedly and not live for anything else. Um, in in that way. And and He wants us to burn. He wants us to be consumed by the by the love of Jesus. And, um, yeah, I might just pray over us and, yeah, I just feel like let's just keep stoking the passion. You guys are amazing and I see the hunger and the fire in you and let's, it's increased and build it. We can be fuel for each other's lives to continue to burn more, to continue to be consumed by his love more 
like we're an encouragement and it talks about not neglecting to gather, but to stir each other up in love. We're actually a part of God's design to stir passion and love in each other, to move us into the good works he created um, beforehand for us to walk in, in Christ. And so, yeah, see the gift of one another. See that surrounding yourself with passionate love is a good way to be a passionate lover. The people you surround yourself with are the people who are going to, you're choosing to let them affect your life and actually influence your being. And so be encouraged that the people in this room are some of the best people you could be surrounding your life with because these are ones who know how to live for him and love him and burn for him. So, yeah, I just thank you, Jesus, for yeah, just who you are. Yeah, that you are the lover of our souls. Yeah, you desire our whole hearts. You desire us to be fully consumed by your love. Yeah, thank you. You designed our hearts to be so flammable that but a touch from you could set us alight and, and cause us to burn increasingly into eternity, Jesus. Thank you that knowing you is eternal life and that knowing you is the key to burning more that's through relationship and intimacy that the spark yeah, is cultivated and created. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray yeah, for you to blow on the embers of hearts. Yeah, ignite fires in hearts, Jesus. Yeah, we pray for your wild, passionate love to burn in hearts. Yeah, I just pray for an openness and a willingness to receive you. Yeah, not to tame you, but to let you come in untamed. Yeah, to let you come in as a raging fire as a tender lover, mm. yeah, as a king who wants to wed her queen. Yeah, just thank you, Jesus, for taking us into, into your love. Thank you, your love is not a concept, but is a, is a reality and experience. So I just pray, Jesus, that you would touch hearts, yeah, touch hearts and bypass, yeah, the logical, rational mind and just touch the hearts of man in this room. Yeah, we're